We technically are one church, one local body. To get to know each other a little bit better, to get us out of our comfort zones. You know, I, I'm up, up front enough to see that we sit in certain spots, and then we always sit in those spots. You come out here, it's different. You can't sit in those spots. And so we're out here because it's good and pleasant when brothers dwell together in unity. So I want to start this morning as we look in the psalm. To give a little introduction of what the psalm's all about, we need to understand kind of the background of it and what's going on. And I want to look at three things real quick before we get into the sermon, and that's the context, the author, and the structure of the psalm. So let's start by the context. If you would look, it has a heading on it that says, A Song of Ascent. What's a song of ascent? Well, there's 15 psalms of ascent in Scripture, and they're all grouped together, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, and they're called songs of ascent or psalms of ascent, because they're traveling songs. When pilgrims and travelers in Jerusalem and Israel would come to Jerusalem and ascend up Mount Zion to worship in the pilgrim festivals, they would sing these psalms. There's three pilgrim festivals, like Pentecost and Passover. They would sing these psalms, celebrating the journey, as they would go, anticipating the fellowship and corporate worship that they would have together, in Jerusalem. This psalm is a psalm of ascent. It's also a, a wisdom song. It's interesting that's considered a wisdom song because there's really only one command in the psalm, and it's the first word, behold, or look, pay attention. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Everything else in this psalm is really just a description of the joys and blessings that are found in fellowship and unity. In other words, wisdom is found in seeking joy and blessing, right? In other words, the wise person will seek fellowship and find goodness, pleasure, blessing, and joy. That's the context of this psalm. The author of the psalm, again, if you look at the heading, says a psalm of ascent of David. King David is the author. He's authored four different songs um, Psalms of Ascent. This is the fourth and final one that he wrote. We don't know when in David's life he actually wrote this. We do know that David had experienced both great unity and blessing and times of great pain and disunity within his family, within Israel. We also know that if David wrote this, it's over 3,000 years old, meaning the people of God have been singing this psalm for over 3,000 years. That's the context, the traveling psalm, the author is King David. Really, to understand this psalm, though, we need to understand the pattern and structure of this psalm, and I think it's extremely important. I have made it clear that ESV translation is my favorite translation, and there's all types of good translations that are out there of Scripture, but there are times and places where the ESV really frustrates me, and Psalm 133 is one of those times. There's a repeated word in Hebrew that doesn't show up in the ESV translation. In fact, almost all translations, you don't see this. Even the King James, um, the NIV, any of those translations. The only translation I really I found was the NASB, the 1995 version, that, that uses this repeated word over and over again. So I'm going to read the NASB, and hopefully you hear this word. Let me just read it. Psalms 133, verse 1 says this, Behold, how good and pleasant it is. For brothers to dwell together in unity, it is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, 
coming down upon the edge of his robe. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. Did you hear that word? Coming down three times. And the ASV translates it running down, running down. And then verse 3, for some reason, they switch it to which falls. It's the same Hebrew word in all three of those verses, or three of those lines. Verse 3, it should be, it is like the dew of Hermon running down on the mountains of Zion. This repeated word really helps you see the structure and pattern of this psalm. It's called a chiasm. It's named after the Greek word chi, which looks like an X. In other words, this psalm is pointing to the center of the psalm as the focal point of the whole entire psalm. The pattern goes like this. It goes A, B, C. C is the focal point. B, A. In other words, the A's on the outside are connected. The B's that are in the inside are connected. And the focal point of the whole psalm is right in the center, the C. So if you just look at the psalm, let me read along and just see if you can follow this. Right? Look at the chiasm. It goes starting with the A's. Verse 1, right, this is statements of blessing. Verse 1 says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now look at the, the very end of verse 3. It says this, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forever. Those are statements of blessing on the ends of this psalm. Just beneath that are the analogies of blessing. Verse 2, it says this, It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, and then verse 3, it is like the dew of Hermon running down, that's what it should say, on the mountains of Zion. And then in the center of the psalm is the focal point. It's where everything is pointing, and it says this, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. So you have A, B, C, B, A. The center is that part talking about Aaron's beard, which I know is weird, but hopefully it'll be less weird as we get to the end of this psalm. So I want to follow the structure this morning. There's three points. I've tried to make this sermon short, but it's nice and cool up here. I'm dry, so I'll just keep going. Uh, the outside, the first point is the outside parallel statements, the statements of blessing. The second point is the inside parallel analogies, the analogies of blessing. And the very last point is the focal point. Right, the foundation of our unity. So let's just start with the outside parallel statements. Again, verse 1 says this, Behold, it's the only command we see in this whole scripture, or this whole portion. It says, Behold. The Israelites were commanded, in other words, to, to look, to recognize, to behold something. Again, verse 1, it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now just remember the context of this psalm. Groups of Israelites making the trek to the temple for worship, singing this psalm over and over again. As they did this, they were commanded to look around, to see the families, the friends, the distant relatives that were coming together, other Israelites, large groups traveling together, united in their worship of Yahweh, remembering the salvation of Yahweh, the goodness of Yahweh, the grace of Yahweh. Verse 1, again, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Dwell in unity is a good translation, but it's not a literal translation. Unity is not the word that, that's used there. It's implied. That's why it's a good translation. But the literal transla translation would say this, How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together. 
and worship God as one, in other words, in unity. Remember, Israelites were traveling hundreds of miles. There was no air conditioning. They got rained on. Right? No refrigeration for food, no cell phones to give directions or stay in contact with each other. No modern comforts. They were traveling in, in hard, costly, dangerous conditions. And I was supposed to emphasize hot here, but... Why would anyone travel so far for worship? Because it's good and pleasant when brothers dwell in unity. Good and pleasant are interesting words, especially when you put them together, because think about it. Some things are good but they're not pleasant, right? Like trials in life, count it all joy. They're good, but they're not pleasant. Some things are pleasant, but not good. Good is more objective. Good is, is seen by God's standard. God is our standard of good. Pleasant is more subjective. It's subjective to the individual. But brothers dwelling together in unity is both good and pleasant. In fact, Charles Spurgeon writes, the combination of these two adjectives, good and pleasant, is more remarkable than the con um, uh, conjunction of two stars in the first magnitude. For a thing to be good is good, but for a thing to also be pleasant is better. All men love pleasant things, and yet it frequently happens that the pleasure is evil. But here the condition is good, is just as good as it is pleasant. And as pleasant as it is, it is good. For the same how is set before each qualifying word, qualifying the word. Again, verse 1, behold, how, how good and how pleasant, right? How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. That's the first statement of blessing. Now I want to look at the second statement of blessing. That's found in verse 3, the very end. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. From there, for there, which points back to the main point of this whole psalm. Again, verse 1, brothers dwelling in unity. There, right? Brothers dwelling in unity together in fellowship. There, the Lord has commanded the blessing. God is actually commanding blessing to go, right? He's commanding blessing itself to fall upon those who are together worshiping in unity. There's a blessing in fellowship and unity. Verse 1, it says it's goodness and pleasure. In verse 3, it says a blessing for there. The Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. It's an interesting phrase. Life forevermore. What does it mean, life forevermore? If, we, if you would, turn with me and try to keep your Bibles dry to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. We're familiar with this chapter. It's often called the love chapter. In the New Testament, we three, see that there's three main marks of Christian faith or virtues of the Christian faith, hope, or faith, hope, and love, and love being the greatest. Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians is the love chapter. And most people, I believe, don't really know the context of chapter 13. The context of chapter 13, this love chapter, is really unity within the local church, the local body. The context is really when brothers, the local church, dwell together in unity and love, what we're talking about in Psalms, Psalm 133. The context, in other words, is not primarily about loving your neighbor, which is a command we're given. 
It's not primarily about loving non-believers or loving your wife. It's not primarily about loving your family, which is all good things. The context is loving your brothers and sisters within the local body. So let's go through this. Verse 1, it says this. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, and again, remember the context, love within the local church, I am a noisy gong or a clinging symbol. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have, and if, um, I have all faith so to remove mountains, but have not love within the local church setting, again, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, in other words, if I give all types of charity, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, sacrifice everything, in other words, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Verse 4, love is patient and kind. It's how we stay unified as a body. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Can you imagine if we just had more of those things? Verse 8, love never ends. In other words, it's eternal. As for prophecy, they will all pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, in other words, in heaven, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, again, when I am in heaven, now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now in this life, in other words, faith, hope, love, abide these things. But the greatest of these is love. Again, faith, hope, love, three marks, three virtues of the Christian faith. Why is love the greatest of these? Here's why. Because it's the eternal virtue. Verse 8, again, love never ends. One commentator put it this way. The object of faith and hope will be fulfilled and perfectly realized in heaven. In other words, in heaven, faith will be replaced by sight. Hope will be replaced by reality. But love, love, the godlike virtue, is everlasting. Heaven will be the place for the expression of nothing but perfect love towards God and love towards towards each other for eternity. Heaven will be worship of God in love forever and fellowship with one another in love forever. Vertical love of God, horizontal love of each other. Heaven is fellowship. Fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. You know what that means, right? Our shared love, our shared fellowship, our shared worship, what happens Sunday mornings when we come together as the local body, as the local church, in this experience is the closest thing to heaven we have on earth. This, what we're doing right now, even in the rain, anticipates eternity. That's why this is so important. Corporate worship, 
right? It's where you're going to find goodness, pleasure, blessing within our fellowship together. That's why if you don't enjoy this, right, corporate worship, why would you think you're going to enjoy heaven? In fact, if you don't, don't enjoy this, if you don't have a deep love and passion for fellowship, if you don't have a love for worshiping God, a love for corporate worship together worshiping God, a love for brothers and sisters in Christ, I would say this, and it's not me, it's the word of God. You should question your salvation. 1 John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another. That one another means the local body, the church. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now turn back to Psalm 133. God stopped the rain so I can keep going. Verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. When we come together, we dwell in unity and worship of God, which unifies us. Verse 3, for there, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. This, this corporate worship, anticipates eternity, life forevermore. That's the outside parallel statements. Let's quickly look at the, the inside parallel analogies. There's two analogies that are used in the psalm describing what unity is like. I don't think any of us has ever described unity like verse 2, but let's read it. It is like unity, the precious oil on the head running down on the beard. Okay, that's weird. <laughs> I don't typically relate goodness, pleasure, blessing, unity, and fellowship to oily beards. Without studying this psalm, that sounds strange. In fact, a lot of times we skip verses like this. There's a reason why verse 1 is quoted in the chapel and not verse 2. I don't think anyone within the contemporary church has ever described the joys of unity as an oily beard or morning dew. But to an Israelite, these two pictures have deep, beautiful meanings. So let's look into them. Why oil and dew? Let's start by looking at the dew, since it's doing that now. Verse 3, look what it says. This is the second analogy. It says, it, again, unity and fellowship and corporate worship, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountain of Zion. Zion is where the temple was. It's a probably around 2,500 feet elevation, right around there. Hermon was the highest mountain in Israel. It's in the north part of the country. It's about 10,000 feet elevation. It's the only snow-capped mountain in all of Israel. Here's the cool thing about Israel and Southern California that the climate in Israel is very similar to the climate in Southern California. So I just want you to think about that, and you can answer this question. What is 2,500 feet like during the summertime in Southern California? Sunny, dry, hot, desolate, right? That's what Zion was like, and that's the picture that's getting painted here in this psalm. What is 10,000 feet, a mountain that's 10,000 feet high, 
like in California in the summer. It's cool, pleasant, green. There's usually water, water somewhere around that type of elevation. In fact, two weeks ago, my family had a vacation, and we went to the Keens Canyon, and we were swimming in cool, refreshing, clear, like clearest water ever, this river that was going through the canyon. Even in a drought, there's still water there. He even rained on us, which when I made my notes, that was really shocking. But The high mountains surrounding the Keynes Canyon collect moisture from the air and make dew, clouds, and rain. It's where we vacation during the summer in California, the Sierra Nevadas. It's one place. The beach is the other place because it's refreshing to go to green and water and coolness. Mount Hermon was the same. It was green, cool, refreshing. Therefore, David is saying, when all of God's people come together and make that long journey to worship God, worship on Zion, it is like the dew found on Mount Hermon being poured out on the dry Mount Zion. How appropriate is this right now? (laughs) For how uncomfortable it is to be in the rain, it's a little refreshing for how hot it's been lately. That is what godly fellowship and unity is like, in other words. So why oil? Look at verse 2. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard. Just like do oil in antiquity symbolized healing and refreshment. Oil was used for all types of things, anointing, blessing, comforting, covering up bad smells, which there was a lot, right? People didn't bathe as much as we get to bathe. Healing, there's a lot of dry skin, and oil was used to heal as a dry climate. It was refreshing to put oil on dry skin. It's the same analogy that's being used here, this idea that coming together and worshiping is refreshing. But look at verse 2. It says something interesting. It says, it is like the precious oil. What is that? What is this precious oil? It seems like it's talking about a specific oil. Well, undoubtedly, because Aaron is mentioned in the next part of this verse, this is a particular order, oil. This is a, a special oil that's being talked about. And if you do, if you have your scriptures, real quickly, turn to Exodus chapter 30, verse 22. Exodus 30, verse 22. It says this in verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, verse 23, Take the first spices of liquid, myrrh, uh, 500 shackles, and sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of Aramaic uh, cane, and 500 of cassia, uh, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. It's like a recipe of making a specific oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer, someone that has a special job of making this oil. It shall be a holy anointing oil. This is the precious oil that's being talked about. It was used to anoint the altar, the, the ark, things within the tabernacle when they were in the desert. But look at verse 30. It says this, You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. 
in Exodus, we're going to see that Aaron and his sons are set apart to be the priests of Israel, anointed for a special calling, and they were anointed by the special oil. And look what it says in verse 31. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It is not uh, it shall not be poured out on the body of any ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. In other words, it should only be used for this special thing, and it shouldn't be made by anyone else besides the person that it was job to make this certain oil. And look what it says in verse 33. God takes it seriously. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. In other words, excommunicated from Israel. For an Israelite, this oil was a precious oil. It was the oil pointing to the priesthood, a special job, a special calling within Israel. And this brings us really to our last point, the focal point of this entire psalm, which is found in verse 2. If you would turn back to Psalm 133, verse 2. Again, it says this, it is like the precious oil, this oil that's talked about in Exodus, on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. Why Aaron? Why is Aaron the focal point of this psalm that's about unity? It seems weird to us. It seemed weird to me when I first read this and was trying to get my mind wrapped around it. Why Aaron? Well, who is Aaron? We're learning it's it's Moses' brother. But more than that, we're going to find out that Aaron and his sons, again, become the priest of Israel. So when the psalm refers to Aaron, it's really referring to the entire priesthood, Aaron and his sons. Well, what was a priest? A priest in the Old Testament was a representative. He represented Yahweh to the people, and he represented the people to Yahweh. Very important. To the relationship between Yahweh and Israel was the priest. The people's relationship with God or Yahweh was mediated by the priest. And for Israel, it was the relationship with Yahweh that true unity was founded. More than anything else. The worship of God brought unity. It's why they traveled so far. The priesthood, the temple, the sacrifices they would do when they get to Israel, it all pointed to the fact that Israel had a relationship with God. That relationship is the focal point of this entire psalm, the focal point of the unity of the people. Israel's relationship with God, mediated by the priests, was the center of Israel's unity together as a people. And that is why the center and the focal point of Psalm 133, the psalm that's all about unity, is verse 2, and it says this, It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running on the collar of his robes. The worship of God, mediated by the sons of Aaron, brought unity to Israel. It was the foundation, right? This, this verse 1, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. In verse 3, For there the Lord has commanded blessing, life forevermore. Right? There is blessing and goodness and pleasure found in brothers coming together in unity. And the foundation of that is the relationship with God. 
again, mediated by the priest. So what's that have to do with us as a church? Let me end with this. The church, our church, Country Oaks, the local body here. Let me answer this question with a question. What's this have to do with us? How about this? How much more should we be unified as a church? Since our mediator, our advocate, our high priest is Jesus Christ, not Aaron. God the Son himself. Listen, the focal point of Psalm 133 is Aaron, right? The focal point of that is the relationship with the Lord and this mediator, Aaron, right? The unity that is found within Israel is because of the worship of God. The focal point for us is Jesus. Jesus is the true and better Aaron. Hebrews makes that very clear. Hebrews 4, verse 14 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who is has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, right? That's our mediator. Therefore, because he's our mediator, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Aaron was a sinner, and we'll find that out. The priests were sinners. Jesus was perfect. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because our high priest, because of his death and resurrection, because he intercedes for us every moment, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. And that's what unifies us. If Aaron was the focal point of Israel's unity, then Jesus is our focal point to our unity as a church. Therefore, how much more should we be unified? Having Aaron or having Jesus as our high priest. Verse 1 again it says this. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Listen, this is our command too. We are called to behold, and this is what I want you to do. I know this might be strange, but just look around for a second. Look at your neighbor, look behind you. We're called to look around. I have been a part of the church now, which amazes me, for almost 30 years. <laughs> I joined here, my parents joined here when I was nine. I was baptized here, married here, was dedicated to all three of my children here. I have a deep, deep love for this church. And it's not the building, I love the building too, but it's the people. And I just look out, I'm overwhelmed. This is my family. When I look around again, I'm overwhelmed with joy. And I come and worship Sunday mornings. Listen, it's refreshing. I'm refreshing. You know, most pastors take Monday off. I'm like ready to go to work Monday because I want to start studying for the next passage because I'm re-energized Sunday. I take Fridays off because I'm, I'm tired then. <laughs> it's refreshing. 
like oil on dry skin, like dew in a dry land. It's good and pleasant when brothers dwell together in unity. If you are new, because there's a lot of new families here, if you are new, maybe you've left the church you loved and moved to Tehachapi, and it feels like nothing can replace that church. I get that. Maybe you came from a hard church split and you're just afraid to get involved. Maybe you've never felt that connection that's being talked about in this psalm, never experienced the goodness, pleasure, and joy and blessing of belonging to a body. I'm telling you, if you call Country Oaks your church, make effort, seek, get connected. Become a member, get involved. Find a small group, put effort into these things. Seek goodness, pleasure, and blessing found in deep fellowship. There is where wisdom is in this psalm. It's so important. Listen, it's one thing to go to church. It's a completely another thing to belong to a church. There, there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Verse 3. It's good and pleasant when brothers dwell together in unity, verse 1. And I want to say this, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord this morning, that's the beginning of the unity that we have, that blessing that, that I have with so many of you. Put your faith in Jesus. He came, he died on the cross for your sins. He was raised on the third day. He is Lord over all. Trust in him. Put your faith in him. You are a sinner. You need God's grace, and it's only found in Jesus Put your faith in him. You can do that right now. Just pray and call out to him in your heart. Let's pray together as a body. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, Lord, I thank you for this body, Lord, here, this local church body, Country Oaks. I thank you for everyone that braved the elements to come together because worship is important, Lord. I thank you for those that are inside the chapel right now, Lord, for those that are watching at home that are that, are, that belong here, Lord, together with us. God, I thank you for them all. God, I pray for those that are a part of our church, Lord, that have been coming to our church that don't yet feel like they belong here, Lord. I pray that you encourage them to seek belonging. And I pray for us as a body, Lord, to reach out to them and pull them in, Lord. There's blessing there. There's joy found there, Lord. And I pray that that you pour out that joy and goodness and blessing, Lord, on us when we come together when we're in need and we are helping each other out, Lord. God, I pray a special blessing for anyone that doesn't know you this morning, Lord, that they would not leave today without crying out to you in their heart, Lord, without reaching out to one of us, God, maybe a pastor, an elder, a friend, and just asking about this, this love that's been talked about in this psalm. Lord, God, I pray that you give them courage to do that right now. In your son's name, amen.